This podcast contains adult themes and content that some listeners may find distressing. Listener discretion is advised. In today's episode, I'm going to tell three different stories. They aren't murders, but they are all deaths. And they are all tragedies that share a common link. If you're affected by any of the issues raised in today's episode, please see the show notes for links to helplines and websites. This is Red Rum, a podcast focusing on the true victims of crime. Episode 9, Sophie, Aaron, Mike and Caroline. Sophie. Sophie Hannah Graydon was born to Deborah and Colin on the 25th of October 1985. Sophie grew up in Newcastle, a three-hour train ride north of London, or an hour and a half from Edinburgh. Sophie attended the Anglican private Dame Allen School, also attended by actor Varada Sethu, known for Now You See Me Too, and Strike Back. Sophie had to pass a written exam and an interview to gain a place, and the termly fees were around £4,000 for tuition. It's here that she gained her GCSEs and A-levels, which gained her a place at Northumbria University. She studied media, culture and society. A large part of her degree involved learning how to talk, at length, about subjects that would later come into play in her life, specifically how media and culture help to shape individual identity. Talking was something Sophie was good at. She was known for her charm and charisma, and this, combined with her intelligence and work ethic, gained her a 2-1 in her degree and a job as a marketing manager which she strived in. In 2008, she competed in a pageant at the Gosforth Marriott Hotel and defeated 22 other contestants to be crowned Miss Newcastle. Just a year later, Sophie went on to compete in the Miss Great Britain competition at London's Café de Paris in which she won the title. Sophie was incredibly popular, making friends wherever she went. Her friends Hannah and Sondeep cheered from the sidelines. In 2013, she dated English Union rugby player Danny Cipriani. She had strong feelings for him, so when the relationship ended, she was devastated. This combined with a redundancy she faced from work, left Sophie unsure of what to do next in her already very successful life. She felt stuck, and as though there were no clear options of which route to take next, career-wise or romantically. However, Sophie received a phone call one afternoon from one of the producers of a new television series, looking to cast her as a competitor. 
the series had already aired a successful first series, and the second series was going to be even bigger. The show, titled Love Island, places single men and women on an exotic island with the hope that they find love and win a £50,000 prize. Sophie appears on the very first episode when she is immediately paired with Tom Powell, who she goes on to have a relationship with before making history when Katie Salmon arrives and the two become the first same-sex couple in the show's history. Sophie quickly became a favourite when she stuck up for her fellow cast member, Zara Holland. Zara entered the villa as reigning Miss Great Britain, but was stripped of her title after she was filmed having sex with another cast member. Representatives for the Miss Great Britain competition said, quote, We wholly understand that everyone makes mistakes, but Zara, as an ambassador for Miss Great Britain, simply did not uphold the responsibility expected of the title. Unquote. This prompted Sophie to address a woman's choice to enjoy sex. Quote, Life shouldn't be about judging one another. Say, for example, judging a young woman for enjoying herself. A young woman who hasn't harmed anyone, but a woman who has faced a torrent of judgmental and closed-minded opinions since leaving Love Island. As an ex-Miss Newcastle and Miss GB, I can say that it's time people moved forward from their old-fashioned thinking and accepted the fact that women like to have sex. Unquote. Sophie didn't go on to win the show, but she did leave with a huge number of social media followers and sponsorship deals. However, following appearances on the show, a number of contestants came forward to discuss the negative feelings and experience they faced once they returned home. Love Island is incredibly popular with young audiences, which is interesting because this is the same age group that are most likely to engage heavily on social media. There is a link between what people are seeing on TV and social media and the anxieties and pressures that young people experience, both of which have a proven correlation. Zara said that being on the show left her feeling anxious and depressed, even years later, and Sophie confirmed that her anxiety was worse than it had ever been. She wrote on social media that she had, quote, sold her soul to reality TV. In 2018, Sophie took part in a talk on social media and its impacts on children. She also spoke about her increased anxiety as a result of social media and online trolls. She said, quote, It was very hard to deal with because you take it like you're being judged. It can really get into your mind and really affect you. The harsh reality is, it can end up with that person taking their own life. And as you've seen in the media, that is what happens. Can you imagine being responsible for that? Unquote. Although the aftermath of Love Island and the pressure of constantly being in the public eye was hard for Sophie, she soon met Aaron Armstrong, 
who became her boyfriend. He was an aspiring boxer, and he and Sophie began an intense and loving relationship. Aaron was incredibly supportive of Sophie, and in June 2018, when Sophie lost a close friend unexpectedly, Aaron helped her through the struggles she faced over the coming weeks. Sophie spoke about the online bullies and stressed that she couldn't deal with it right now after her friend had died. On Sunday the 17th of June, Sophie and Aaron enjoyed a meal out together before Aaron dropped Sophie at her parents' house in Pontyland, just north of Newcastle-upon-Tyne. Sophie was house-sitting for her parents whilst they were away on holiday. Sophie and Aaron spoke over the next couple of days, but on Wednesday afternoon he couldn't make contact with her. He noticed she'd also been absent from any social media activity. Sophie's friend Sondeep said that in the early hours on Wednesday, he and Sophie spoke just generally about their friends, but that the conversation did turn to a worrisome place. At one point, she texted him that she, quote, struggled with the world. I've been to the end and back again. I can't do this anymore. If I could escape, I would, unquote. She also spoke about her friend whose funeral she'd been to just a week earlier. Aaron and his brother began to worry. They made their way round to Sophie's parents' house, where Aaron found Sophie. She had hanged herself in the bedroom. Aaron pulled Sophie down and attempted to administer CPR for 15 minutes before realising she had already passed away. He called his mum 15 minutes later, hysterically and extremely distressed. Toxicology tests showed Sophie had a blood reading of 201 milligrams per 100 millilitres of blood, around three times the legal driving limit, as well as cocaine and her prescribed antidepressants. Sophie's post-mortem revealed that she suffered with arteriovenous malformation, also known as AVM. It's a condition that affects the connection between a person's arteries and veins, and in some cases, can impact a person's thinking and reasoning abilities. In a statement, Sophie's parents argued that AVM would have had a severe and brutal impact on their daughter, and after speaking to a psychiatrist and neuroscientist, found that Sophie's cerebral and cognitive reasoning could have been influenced by the presence of the AVM in her brain. Love Island's host, Caroline Flack, said, Tragically, this week we lost a beautiful soul in Sophie Graydon. She was a gorgeous person, both inside and out, and everyone's thoughts here at Love Island with her family and friends at this terrible time. Sophie, we'll never forget you. The show dedicated the episode following Sophie's death to her and issued a statement, quote, The whole ITV2 and Love Island team are profoundly saddened to hear the news about Sophie 
and our deepest sympathies and thoughts go out to her family and friends, unquote. Zara says that during her time in Love Island, there was a psychiatrist available on set, but said Sophie should have had better support once she left the villa. A friend of Sophie's said, quote, It's actually quite sad how many times Sophie has reached out to friends and said, this experience wasn't good for me, unquote. A fellow reality TV star and friend of Sophie's, Jasmine Leonard, said, quote, I'm well aware of the demons she was battling, but I can't help but feel angry at them when it's something she spoke about so often, something she pointed at as the catalyst for feeling as low as she did. It's a high doing them and then suddenly it's over. You feel low. Compare yourself to fellow contestants, achievements, etc. Unquote. Sophie's boyfriend, Aaron, wrote, To think I will never see your beautiful smile again haunts me. You are the girl of my dreams and we spoke of having kids and spending the rest of our lives together. I'm so devastated that we will never get the chance to grow old together and raise a family. I love you with all my heart, Sophie. You will always be in my heart. You are my angel and I know that you will be by my side every day. Unquote. In a shocking turn of events, less than three weeks after Sophie's death, Aaron's mum found him hanging in his bedroom at their family home. His toxicology results showed that he had been drinking and taking cocaine on the night he killed himself. Mike. Michael Thalassitis was born to Shirley and Andy on the 19th of January 1993. Although he was born in London, his Greek Cypriot heritage was something he was immensely proud of, and from a young age, he was known to his close family and friends as Mike. He spent his childhood and teen years playing football with his brother Nick and best friend Chris. He trained hard to earn a place on Stevenage's youth team and by the age of 18, he had scored 17 goals in 26 games and became a promising young midfielder. Mike signed a full professional contract and entered into League Two which saw his peak in the football world. He played for a variety of teams on loan, including Chelmsford City Football Club, Margate and St Albans City. By 2017, he had made the decision to retire from football. He wanted to experience new things and achievements, as well as having fun. He was in his early 20s when he heard of Love Island, And by the time series two aired, he watched the hopeful singles battle it out to find love, fame and fortune, whilst relaxing on the all-inclusive, 24-7 filmed, sun-kissed holiday island. The end of the new series 
saw the ITV show call for participants for the following year. By the time summer 2017 came around, Mike had been approved to enter the Love Island villa just over a week after the initial episode of season three aired. As he made his way in, he imagined that this would be his big break, a moment in the spotlight before an array of opportunities waited for him at home. However, he was nicknamed Muggy Mike by another islander because of his experiences in the villa and he was voted off quite early on. He is interviewed by the host Caroline after he leaves and the footage shows him to be answering the questions genuinely. He talks about his genuine connection with his friends Johnny and Montana, which he mentions they didn't show in the final edits. The show tended to show him in a serious light, focusing on the dramas that sell the show to the 2.5 million viewers. This also meant that after leaving, Mike was known as, quote, Muggy Mike, wherever he went. He appears in reality show Celebs Go Dating in 2018, where the presenter comments on his personality, saying, quote, I think he's opened up, but there's nothing in there, unquote, which further fueled the online comments and trolling associated with him. Mike said, quote, After Love Island, all the crazy parties and the people coming up to you in the street, you do become a little bit more hostile. So if I don't like you, I'm not going to pretend to be nice to you. It seems like everyone's out to get you. People want to see you slip up constantly. Unquote. On Christmas Eve 2018, Mike's best friend Danny passed away unexpectedly. Mike was devastated. The next few months saw Mike move into his nan's house in North London to become her full-time carer. Although Mike was on antidepressants, he found the constant online trolling and negative comments difficult to deal with. He was likely unable to fully express his emotions to his loved ones. Mike's nan, who he was still caring for full-time, died in March of 2019. And this led Mike to write down some worrying and telling notes about how he was feeling, something he wasn't able to do by speaking to people. Just after 9am on Saturday the 16th of March, a jogger was cutting through Church Street Recreation Ground when he came across a body hanging in the park. The jogger called police, who announced that the body belonged to Michael Thelicetis. A police officer found a notebook close to his body, which was found to contain a combination of diary entries, letters and positive thoughts, as well as a number of personal notes addressed to his family, which set out his intention that his life should come to an end. Toxicology results showed that there was cocaine, ethanol, antidepressants and paracetamol in Mike's system at the time of his death, 
and the coroner ruled the death to be a suicide. Following Mike's death, Love Island host Caroline said, quote, Mike, you were a total gentleman. I won't forget that. It's so sad. You will be missed. Rest in peace. Chris Hughes, a fellow Love Island contestant, said, quote, His name wasn't Muggy Mike. Please stop brandishing that. His name was Mike Thalassitis and every inch of my heart goes out to his family and friends. A good guy, taken far, far too soon." Unquote. Montana Brown, a friend of Mike's who attended the hearing, said, quote, I don't really have much to say, but what I will say is I think when someone dies in this way, you don't give up on the memory, and I think that a lot of people are scared to talk about it. But I think it's important to let his memory live on and remember the importance of why this happened and to change your own life on what terrible, terrible thing has happened to Mike. I think everyone should be a little nicer and a little bit kinder. It's such an awful world we live in. It's just nice to be nice. I've definitely changed the way I live my life and I urge others to do the same. Unquote. ITV received a huge number of concerns following the death of yet another Love Island contestant and as a result, issued a statement about what their latest duty of care measures would be, including, quote, a psychological consultant will look after Islanders from pre-filming to after their time on the show. Before filming, psychological and medical checks with various doctors, including contestants' own GPs, Detailed discussions with contestants around the potential impact the programme may have on their lives. At least eight therapy sessions for Islanders after they come home from the show. Proactive contact with former contestants for 14 months after their season of Love Island finishes. Bespoke training for Islanders on social media and financial management. Encouragement for contestants to get management to represent them. It also stated that the senior team at Love Island Villa had all been trained in mental health first aid. The main point here being the proactive contact after the show finishes filming, which is something that a number of previous Love Island contestants complained of not receiving. Mike looked and acted like the Western ideal of a man should, or that's how he appeared at least in the public eye. He didn't appear to share his vulnerability and he was forced to keep up with the traditional cultural masculine norms. The term normative male alexithyma is used to describe the traditional masculine socialization that makes it difficult to accept emotions and feelings that someone might be having. It may be that the idea of expressing said emotions such as vulnerability or dependency needs, is thought of as shameful or weak. Boys are conditioned from the moment they can walk and talk that they are not allowed to express emotions such as fear or sadness, as it may influence ideas that they are not a, quote, real man. 
This thinking and behaviour makes it difficult for men to seek out the support they may need. This is incredibly dangerous as it means that often some men attempt to self-medicate through the use of substance use and alcohol use, something which has been proven to increase impulsive behaviours and deepen depression. It was found that people with cocaine and alcohol in their system are 16 times more likely to commit suicide. A recent study found that 7 out of 10 men who died by suicide had no history of mental illness, which I suspect is most likely due to the inability to discuss and therefore diagnose the issue. The same study also found that the most common risk factors for suicide are using drugs or alcohol to cope with emotions, relationships, work pressures, social isolation, a history of physical and sexual abuse, imprisonment, being bullied at school, college or work, unemployment, mental illness and loss of a loved one through trauma or disease. In 2016, the World Health Organization identified that there were an estimated 793,000 suicide deaths worldwide, with the majority of them being men. Caroline Elizabeth was 10 years old when she and her younger brother Paul welcomed twins Jodie and Caroline home from the hospital. Born to Ian and Christine on the 9th of November 1979, the twins were inseparable and shared a bed until they were four. Life was hectic and exciting for the family of six. The four siblings grew up in the family home in Enfield in North London before moving to Norfolk for the rest of their childhoods. Jodie and Caroline attended Wayland Community High School where they would spend all of their time together. They would hang around a large oak tree in the schoolyard with their friends, Caroline tending to sing and dance in the yard to entertain her peers. Caroline also joined the school's band, finding her passion in performing and entertaining people. She then went on to study music and theatre at Bodywork Company in Cambridge, where she landed her dream role of Roxy Hart in the musical Chicago. She was just 17 years old. She then went on to gain a part in the TV show Bo Selector, where Lee Francis became her mentor and taught her how to work on screen without a script. He taught her how to put the best parts of herself forward and how to be her most authentic self on screen. This, combined with her strong work ethic and bubbly personality, is what led to the huge array of television work she began to become involved with, including TMI, Gladiators on Sky One, and I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here Now. In 2014, Caroline danced on Strictly Come Dancing 
and won. This pushed her career even further. And in 2015, she hosted The X Factor and Love Island. It was only a year later when she met Sophie Graydon on series two of Love Island. And the next year, she met Mike Thalassitis. Caroline's love life was constantly in the spotlight. And after a number of high-profile romances, Caroline started dating The Apprentice contestant, Andrew Brady. She and Andrew had a whirlwind romance, eventually getting engaged. However, in 2018, Caroline called off her engagement to Andrew. Heartbroken, but appearing strong, she stated, quote, I coped the way I always do. I cried in private and did my grieving behind closed doors. Then I put on my makeup, painted a smile on my face and kept my head up high in public, unquote. However, Caroline fought against online trolls' comments about her love life for the following year. She said, quote, If you're in your 30s or your 40s or your 50s and you're not settled down and you haven't got kids and kind of not wearing a twin set and pearls, they think you're unhappy in some way. I've never had the desire to, I never had that fairy tale, I want to meet my prince and I want to settle down, unquote. She also said, quote, someone wouldn't come up to you in the street and say you're big, fat and ugly, yet they find it really easy to say that online, unquote. In 2018, her spirits were lifted when Caroline's lifelong dream of professionally appearing in Chicago came true. She was cast in the West End's production of Chicago as the lead Roxy Hart, and although it was, quote, the hardest thing she'd ever done, she enjoyed it immensely. Meanwhile, Caroline's sister Jodie had taken a different path, focusing on family life rather than career. And by the time Caroline's West End debut came along, Jodie had a husband and three children, Willow, Zuzu and Delilah. Caroline welcomed the fun aunt stereotype and in 2019, the sisters headed to France for a family holiday. All three of Jodie's children looked up to Caroline and loved having her around, especially as it was rare she'd be able to get the time off of work. Following her West End stint, Caroline began dating again, and in 2009, began dating Danny Cipriani, who also dated Sophie Graydon back in 2013. Although Caroline and Danny broke it off a short while later, they continued to be good friends, and often supported each other in troubling times. It was at this point that Caroline's very public life came into even closer scrutiny by the media. She began dating professional tennis player and model Lewis Burton, and on the morning of the 12th of December, she was arrested and charged for actual bodily harm. It was reported that Caroline had hit Lewis with a lamp 
and blood was found at the scene, but both she and Lewis denied the charges, with Caroline stating that the blood found was from her. Lewis confirmed this and supported his girlfriend who pleaded not guilty to the assault. The judge set the trial for March 4th and ordered that she was not to have any contact with Lewis until the trial was over. It was at this point that Caroline and ITV confirmed her stepping away from presenting Love Island. Caroline explained the decision, quote, Love Island has been my world for the last five years. It's the best show on telly. In order to not detract attention from the upcoming series, I feel the best thing I can do is to stand down for series six. I want to wish the incredible team working on the show a fantastic series in Cape Town, unquote. Caroline's career was still her main focus. She eagerly awaited the screening of a cameo role that she'd filmed earlier in the year for the Steve Coogan film, Greed. However, Caroline's mental health was suffering from the onslaught of negative comments following the charges of assault and as much as she tried to rise above the negativity, she found it impossible. In early February of 2020, Caroline called her close friend Danny Cipriani. She left him a voice message, and a little while later, he messaged her to ask how she was doing. Danny was concerned about Caroline's departure from hosting Love Island, and after she told him she was okay, she followed up with the fact she was worried about the upcoming court case. On Friday the 14th of February 2020, Valentine's Day, Caroline had a few friends over during the day as she wasn't feeling well. At 10.30pm that evening, an ambulance arrived at the flat in response to a 999 call, but the paramedics assessed Caroline and decided that she didn't need hospital treatment, so left her flat. Caroline's best friend Lou stayed the night, and on Saturday morning, after Caroline insisted she was feeling much better, Lou headed home. However, when trying to call to check how Caroline was doing, Lou received no response. She rushed back round and knocked on the door, but there was no answer. Lou tried to open the door, but as it was locked, she immediately called Caroline's father, Ian. As Ian made his way into the flat, he found that Caroline had hanged herself. Lou was outside and flagged down a police car driving past. Police attempted resuscitation, which was then continued by paramedics but Caroline was pronounced dead at the scene. Caroline's funeral was held at the Green Acres in Norwich. It saw over 200 family and friends gather at the private ceremony. Before Caroline's death, She had been advised not to make a statement on social media following the assault charges, 
but her family found an unpublished post that they made public after her death. Quote, For a lot of people, being arrested for common assault is an extreme way to have some sort of spiritual awakening, but for me it's become the normal. I've been pressing the snooze button on many stresses in my life for my whole life. I've accepted shame and toxic opinions on my life for over 10 years and yet told myself it's all part of the job, no complaining. The problem with brushing things under the carpet is they are still there and one day someone is going to lift that carpet up and all you're going to feel is shame and embarrassment, unquote. She goes on to deny the charges once again, backed up by her boyfriend Lewis. She then states, quote, The reason I am talking today is because my family can't take any more. I've lost my job, my home, my ability to speak, and the truth has been taken out of my hands and used as entertainment. I can't spend every day hidden away, being told not to say or speak to anyone. I'm so sorry to my family for what I have brought upon them and for what my friends have had to go through. I'm not thinking about how I'm going to get my career back. I'm thinking about how I'm going to get mine and my family's life back. I can't say any more than that. Unquote. It's impossible to simplify Sophie, Aaron, Mike and Caroline's deaths to one element. There are clearly a number of issues going on here, each specific to their individual lives. But what is clear is that we as a human species are not able to deal with a constant torrent of abuse. Actor Steve Coogan, the star of Greed, which saw Caroline's last filmed appearance, said, Quote, it was awful. Obviously, my heart goes out to her loved ones and her family. It's tragic. There are lots of issues that are raised by it. I'm sure you've talked about that to do with social media, to do with press, to do with the discourse that takes place specifically on social media, and also to do with the way the press behave. I certainly think that, really, the problem with social media is that people don't see the whites of the eyes of the person they are talking to, so they behave in quite a reprehensible way. You can wax lyrical about it all, but I just think people need to step back and question how they behave, question how they talk to each other. We can disagree with each other, but we don't have to be disagreeable. Unquote. The law in the UK is such that you can only report online harassment if the person harassing you has done so more than once. Even then, the police have to feel that the offence is worthy of legal action, which is initially in the form of a warning. However, it rarely gets to this point, especially if you are someone with a large online following. Sophie, Mike and Caroline experienced abuse from thousands of strangers and moderating this would have been impossible. So their only option was to deal with the harassment themselves until eventually they couldn't. 
Red Rum is written and presented by Grace Cordell. It's produced by Russ Clark and Grace Cordell. Sound design by Russ Clark with additional music by Benjamin James.